Well, folks, if you um, have been plugged into our life together um, over the last couple of months, you'll know that we have taken um, a good chunk of time to actually work through the, the prayer course. We've thought a lot um, about prayer over this last couple of months. We've been helped by our friends from 24-7 Prayer as Pete Gregg has unpacked the Lord's Prayer for us, pointed us in the direction of loads and loads of prayer resources to help us actually pray. And um, when we gathered a number of weeks ago for our vision night, we, we stayed with that particular theme because one of the things that I'm keen for us not to do is to somehow take on prayer as a standalone topic, rush through it, not that we've rushed through it, but go through a course and then tick a box, oh, we've covered prayer, on to the next thing. And we took a little bit of time at our vision night to, to consider what is our, our response, actually, to what I feel is the Lord's call and command to us at the moment. As I've been thinking and praying through this particular season myself, trying to listen out to what the Lord is saying to me. Well, one of the things that I, I feel that he has said to me is, Stefan, build a community of praying people. And don't go on to the next thing until you've attended to that. Build a community of praying people. And today I want us to, in a sense, sit with that word. Because if we're going to be a community of praying people, then it's not going to be built by one or two people praying in isolation. That's not a community. <laughs> we are a group of people at church that have been called together and chosen for one another by Jesus. <laughs> That's quite strange, isn't it? For many of us, we would never necessarily associate with one another in the outside world, but our participation in a fellowship together that is formed by Jesus, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of people who come from all walks of life, come from different countries and continents, but we gather here today and we are a united group of people. And we are united in our loyalty to the person who is the boss of this place, the one who is the head of the body, the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. And one of the practices that joins us together is a commitment to prayer, not for a season, not for a couple of weeks or for a couple of months, but lives that are immersed in prayer. I feel the Lord has said to me, build a community of praying people. And this call to be part of a community of praying people demands a response from each of us. But before we consider what that response might be, may I say one thing? No one is left out. <laughs> and right now, you might be counting yourself out being a part of that praying group of people. There may be 101 good reasons why you feel that your prayers are ineffectual. There may be 101 good reasons why you might think, I'll leave the praying to other people. But I can say this uncategorically, that we are 
call to prayer together. In the Christian life, there's no Christian superheroes, perhaps, except Jesus. But we're a community, first and foremost, of brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters of Jesus, all called to serve the one and same Lord. And he doesn't reserve the work of prayer to a select few. No, the call to be a praying person and to be part of a praying community is a call that reaches out to all of us. We've sung today that we are children of God. We have read a scripture from Romans 8 that says that he has put the spirit of adoption into our hearts. He has laid claim over you and I. You did not choose him, but he chose you. And in choosing you, he takes command of your life. He reserves that right because he has purchased you at a price. And a high price at that. You weren't a person left on the bargain bucket. <laughs> Actually, the purchase of your life come at a huge, huge price. So Jesus reserves the, the right to your obedience. But he's purchased it with the price of love. This is not dictatorship over your life. It's not tyranny. <laughs> it's a wonderful, beautiful, loving lordship. But I want to reiterate that call, that call that reaches out to all of us today, all of us brothers and sisters, all of us sons and daughters, all of us called by the one Lord. The one Lord chooses to interact and to relate to all of us. I want you to get that today. <laughs> the one Lord chooses to relate and connect with all of us. He doesn't reserve friendship with a select few and appoint angels to go and talk to the rest. No, the one Lord chooses to interact and to relate with every single one of us. There is an equality amongst believers, all sons and daughters, all brothers and sisters, and all able to access and enjoy friendship with the one same Lord. I think that that's great news personally. I, like honestly, st step back and think about it for a minute. Who here has a personal connection and friendship with our, I was going to say our prime minister, that's probably not a, a great example right now, but, <laughs> but the example still stands, doesn't it? Who here has a personal connection with the prime minister, either the current one or the incoming one? No. <laughs> But who here has a personal, intimate, daily connection with the Lord of life? <laughs> like, like, honestly, I think that th this is a truth that we sometimes become too familiar with. And familiarity can sometimes not lead us to contempt, but the utter brilliance of that truth can sometimes be lost on us. <laughs> wherever you are, wherever you find yourself at church, at home, at work, with friends, you have a connection, an immediate, unmediated connection with the one Lord of life. But the way we make that connection primarily is through prayer. And prayer is a gift that's given to all of us. It's not the reserve of the elites. 
It's a gift that is given to all of us. More than a gift, it is an invitation to a way of life. Build a community of praying people. I want to reiterate that call today. I want to run the risk of playing the same tune and being a little bit boring. I hope I'm not. But we can't move beyond that until we each make the step of obedience that the Lord is asking of us. Build a community of praying people. What is your response and what is your place within all of that? And response is the operative word. We need to embrace a life of prayer, and we do this by actually praying. When I was training for ministry, I had the great joy of training with a load of Ghanaian pastors. It was a sister denomination in Ghana that was set up with the denomination I I trained with and was ordained into. And those guys invited me to start praying with them. And that was the best lesson in prayer I ever received. And one of the the, the pastors, he said to me, Stephen, you Westerners, you believe in prayer. But we Ghanaians, we believe in praying. (laughs) And there's a subtle difference there. But it is quite a big one. And that was a lesson in prayer for me. But how can we become part of a community of praying people? Well, quite simply, I think we commit to two things. A commitment to deepen our own personal prayer. And alongside that, a commitment to build prayer friendships. In other words, find one or two people to pray with on a regular basis. It's not rocket science. It's really quite simple on one hand. But we see this simple dynamic, the dynamic between the personal prayer and praying with friends played out in Jesus' own life. So I want us to consider Jesus' prayer life this morning. And the first thing I want to say is this, and it's quite simple. Jesus prayed. And just think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't just tell other people to pray. Jesus just didn't teach about prayer. He actually prayed. Now, it's easy to to either overlook this or simply assume that fact. But our Gospels don't do that. In fact, our Gospels go to great lengths to make this point for us, and they make it in an emphatic way. So when we look into the Gospels, we find that there are 17 references in our Gospels to Jesus' active prayer life. Some adding more detail than others. But the detail is added shows us a number of things. It shows us not only that he did pray, and that is an important point. Her gospels are making the point that Jesus prayed, but they also show how he prayed and when he prayed. Now, when we look into our gospels, we find that out of the four gospel writers, Luke has the most frequent citations of Jesus at prayer. In fact, if we were to look at Luke's two books, so Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, which carries his name, but he also has a, a, follow-up, um, a follow-up account, which is called the Acts of the Apostles, both written by Dr. Luke. And we see that when we look at those two volume works, we find that there is a particular attentiveness to prayer throughout the Gospel of Luke, and the Acts of 
the apostles. But here is a summary of what Luke says about Jesus' prayer life. So the first mention we get is this, as the demands of his public ministry grow, as more and more demands are placed upon Jesus' time and energy, Luke tells us that Jesus would often withdraw to a lonely place and pray. We go on to the next chapter. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. There we see as an example of personal prayer, Jesus' commitment to times of solitude, to, to praying to the Father. Just he and the Father. Yeah, You can see that dynamic working through, and Luke makes mention of it for us. But we also see examples of Jesus praying with his friends. We read in Luke chapter 9, for example, once when Jesus was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? Again, Luke, as he has trekked down and sought to put the story of Jesus together, keeps on coming up with people saying, when he was praying, when it was early, Jesus was praying. When he was in private with his friends, Jesus was praying. (laughs) Can you see that he's beginning to weave this in? It was a noticeable aspect of Jesus' life. He prayed. But he also prayed with his friends. Luke chapter 9 again. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. I think the best way that Jesus figured out to teach others to pray was to simply Let them see him praying. And here we see James and John, the brothers, along with Peter, praying with Jesus up a mountain. One day, we're told in Luke 11, and we've thought a lot about this, haven't we, over the last couple of months. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. Again, Jesus praying with his friends. But we go on looking through Luke's gospel, and we get an example of Jesus praying for his friends, praying for others. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus is anticipating a moment of failure in Simon Peter's life. And he's already praying for him. I take great comfort in that. Because my assumption is, is that Jesus doesn't only just pray for Simon Peter. He isn't just praying for the 12 disciples, but he continues to pray for all the disciples that come thereafter. And that includes you and I. And I'm thankful that When Jesus looks down his prayer list, my name's on it, (laughs) and your name's on it as well. He is praying for you and I that our faith may not fail. We also see Jesus praying at times of crisis. So Luke shows us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed. And again, further on in the same chapter, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. 
the climactic moment of Jesus' life, when all that he had been born to do, what do we find him doing? Praying. This is instructive for us. But I also love the fact that we have this mountaintop experience of Jesus praying in utter agony. And only a couple of chapters later, we see him sitting down at the dinner table, having food with his disciples. And we read, he was at the table with them. He broke bread. He gave thanks. He said, thank you, Lord, for the food that we are about to receive. He prayed. He broke it. And he began to give it to them. And the most common daily thing that you and I can do, sit around a table and eat, what do we find Jesus doing? Praying. And I would suggest it's no bad thing if you don't give thanks in prayer before a daily meal. That's a really, really good thing to do. It nurtures thanksgiving in our hearts, and it weaves prayer into the most common of things in our lives. And we see Jesus doing it, setting an example for us. It's not just Luke who pays attention to Jesus' life of prayer. All the gospel writers do. But Mark, and remember when we read Mark's gospel, we're hearing the voice of the apostle Peter. Well, we note that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was just a part of the daily practice of prayer in Jesus' life. But coming back to Luke for a moment, we'll notice that in both his books, I've already said that there is a link between the work of the Spirit on one hand and praying people on the other. So he's not just looking out for instances of prayer in Jesus' life. When we go to the very, very beginning of the book, we notice that the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth, well, they are devout praying people as is Jesus' mother Mary. In fact, we, we hear one of her prayers, the Magnificat. We actually get to hear the words of her prayer. We're introduced to a couple of older folks as well. In fact, folks who are towards the end of their life. Simeon, a man from Jerusalem, praying throughout his life. And I find it wonderful that in the Gospels and in Luke's Gospel, we're actually introduced to people praying for Jesus. Imagine that. The joy and the gift of being able to pray for Jesus. We see at least two people doing that. Simeon, and straight away in the same text, a prophetess called Anna, again toward the end of her life. And both of them pray for Jesus and his parents. So the point is being made emphatically that that prayer is kind of like breathing for the Christian as it was for Jesus. And I would hope that this glimpse into Jesus' praying life and a glimpse of the praying life of the community of faith may also inspire us. But when we look at these folks, we're not in the land of superheroes and super saints. We're in the life of ordinary people. Ordinary people who are living, in one respect, ordinary lives that are the type of lives that you and I bring the joys and the fears, the failures and the successes. But ordinary people 
committing themselves to prayer. But let's return to Jesus and his life of prayer. Now, we remember, and it's unsurprising to us when we know a little bit about what Luke is up to, that it's Luke who tells us and gives us the only reference in our Gospels of the disciples asking, teaching for something. You'll have heard me say that before. You'll have heard Pete say that as well in our videos. But the disciples get taught loads of things by Jesus. But the one thing they explicitly ask teaching for is on prayer. Let's go back to that text in Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And of course, Jesus goes on at this moment to teach them the prayer that begins with these words. Our Father. Our Father. When Jesus starts to teach his disciples how to pray, and by extension, teaching you and I how to pray, he begins with those two words, our Father. In Jesus' mind, those two words are the gateway into prayer. I think this is hugely significant for us. Before we get further down the line of prayer, and we begin to wrestle with some of the difficulties often, when we begin to embrace some of the joys of a life of prayer, the gateway for Jesus is one that is intensely relational. And when we take that step forward to embrace lives of prayer and praying, that's the gateway. That's the starting point. Our Father. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. Not my Father, but our Father. Collectively, we are connected to the one Father, the same Father. So Jesus points us to a life of prayer that's intensely personal and relational. But he also shows that he is one who prays for us. We see later on in the Gospels that Jesus begins to use this prayer himself. <laughs> in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the moment where he needs to yield, he, le he leans on this prayer and he says, Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup Remove the suffering that I'm about to, to go through. Remove it from me. And yet, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. <laughs> Where did he get that from? Does that sound familiar? Of course, it's wrapped up into the Lord's prayer, the prayer that he taught you and I to pray. But I love it. Jesus prays for us, as we have already heard, as he prays for Simon Peter. But our scriptures also make it clear that Jesus also prays with us. He ever lives, the writer to the book of Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints, to pray for the saints. And he knows what to pray for. <laughs> he knows what our needs are. And he's able to bring them forth. He's able to communicate and to broadcast and to answer each and every one of them. We are not left on our own to figure this life of prayer out by ourselves. He is with us, beckoning us to join him. And I, and I want you to hold that image in your mind. 
as you take perhaps some steps forward in your own lives of prayer, as you begin to, and this is, this is what I have found in my own experience of prayer, the moment that I make a, a determined effort to deepen my commitment to praying, there's always some negative response to that. I, I don't know if I'm on my own when I say that, but my suspicion is, is that that is something that will be a common experience for all. Yeah, I can see you nodding right now. The moment you take a step forward that says, I am going to deepen my commitment to prayer, I can guarantee you that you will meet some resistance. I don't want to speculate as to the cause of that resistance, but it's going to come. <laughs> it's inevitable. It might be resistance within yourself. It might be some form of external resistance, but something will try to stop you deepening your commitment to prayer, your own personal commitment to prayer, or to finding others to pray with. I guarantee you, but push through it, because there's somebody who's standing beside you, there's somebody who's beckoning you on, there's somebody who's championing you. Do it. Push through. Relinquish. Kneel down. Be quiet. Offer up broken words. Offer up the best of your prayers. Even if you don't feel you're any good at it, praying badly is better than praying, not praying at all. <laughs> and we remind ourselves of Jesus' words, our Father. Our prayers are effective, not because we're any good at them, not because we can perhaps weave poetic phrases together. Nothing the matter with that. But if you struggle with speech and prayer, don't worry about it. Because the effectiveness and the power of our prayers, even our silent ones, even the ones that kind of come out in unutterable groans and moans. Does anybody ever pray like that? You don't even know how to say what you're going, what's going on. Does anybody ever pray like that? Like a, <sighs> Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> oh, Lord shake of a head. Half my prayer life is like that, if I'm being honest. But the reason that is effective is because it's addressed to our Father. <laughs> That's why prayer is effective. Not because we're any good at it. Not because we're particularly faithful at it, though we are called to be faithful. But because of the one who it is addressed to. Because <laughs> if he hears that groan, if he just simply says, sees that you're just taking a couple of minutes out, from the busyness and the stress of your day, just to sit quietly and be attentive to what he might be saying. That's not lost on him. You might feel it's a waste of time. You might feel that you're pushing up against a brick wall, but push through and have faith. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, and he's a good Father. He's not deaf to your cries. He's not deaf to your prayers. He's not deaf to your situations or your circumstances. He's not deaf. He can hear you. <laughs> he can read what's going on in your mind. <laughs> and he's for you. Not setting up to trip you up, to cause you to stumble. No, to put you back on your feet. <laughs> to walk with you through life. But prayer is a fundamental connection. And first and foremost, what we are as a church, as a community of praying people, 
who pray in Jesus' name, who pray with Jesus, who pray to Jesus. That's what sets us out as a community, as a church that follows Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's the starting point. It's more than that, but that's the starting point. So, what is our response? What is our simple response to the invitation to be a part of a community of praying people? Well, I think the best thing is to simply follow Jesus' example and simply pray. Commit to deepening your personal prayer life, whatever that commitment might be, and commit to praying with others. Find one or two friends, spouse, pray with them. On one level, it's that simple. But down through the ages, going right back to Jesus and beyond, Christians and believing people have needed help with their prayers. That's why when you open your Bible and you let it fall naturally open to the very middle of it, what do you find? What do you find at the very, very middle of your Bibles? The book of Psalms. And what is the book of Psalms if nothing else? It's a prayer book. Even its very placement at the heart of our scriptures is significant. People have always needed help with prayer. So Psalms could perhaps be a really helpful resource to help you with prayer. But for me, and at risk of repeating myself from the vision night, I quickly just want to say that for me, a couple of resources that really help me bring structure and a little bit of direction to my prayer life is this resource. It's not the Book of Common Prayer, but it's a version of the Book of Common Prayer. And my friend Mark, he struck upon a great, great occurrence because you can buy the book and you can see the picture of the book there. It's quite a big book, so it's not the easiest things to be carrying in your back pocket unless you've got big, big pockets. But it's free as a downloadable app. So you can get that on Apple or on Google Play. So you can have that on your phone, carrying it wherever you go, daily prayer, something that helps a little bit of structure. And anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. It will lead you into prayer, give you some Psalms to pray through, an Old Testament and a New Testament reading, and one or two prayer prompts for the day. So I urge you, give it a go. Those who have done that with me over the last couple of months say that it's really simple, but also really, really effective. And alongside that, something that I've been using for years now that I think is really helpful for me, and I know one or two of you have also found it helpful, is the prayer of examine. Now, I have a couple of copies with me today. If you want a copy of that, grab me at the door after the service. But perhaps as the band make the way back to the platform, we could simply offer this as our prayer response today. And just as those words are on the screen, perhaps you will just simply use those words as, a, as your prayer today in response. Lord, teach us to pray. Perhaps we could substitute it to say, Lord, help us with our praying. But whatever is an appropriate response in this moment, I give you these moments just to offer that as a prayer right now. Trusting that the Lord actually has helped to, to give. That it's his call to us to be a group of praying people, a community of praying people. And he has the resource, the help that is necessary.
Can we say those words together? Lord, teach us to pray. We need your help, Lord. So remember us at this time, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The, the band are going to lead us in our closing song. But if you have kids, now is the time to pick them up. So again, throughout the summer weeks, we're asking you if you can pick up your kids from the um, color challenge, which is in the hall at 12 o'clock. It's just gone 12.02, so hopefully the kids' church volunteers aren't going to be too angry with me today. Um, there's going to be teas and coffee served after the service, but if you have kids to collect, perhaps you could do that now. And um, as you do that, the band are just going to play us through in our finishing song. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you.